So there's this thing called the Happy Planet Index. The New Economics Foundation introduced it back in 2006 as a way to track well-being and environmental impact. And one of the countries that consistently ranks at the top of the Happy Planet Index is Costa Rica. It has beautiful jungles, generates nearly all of its electricity from renewable resources, and spends nearly 8% of its budget on education. And those pristine jungles were the location for the original Jurassic Park movie. Little known fact, the Costa Rican people decided back in 1949 to abolish the army, and they spend that money on their people, providing health care and pensions instead. But happiness collided with reality back in April. Late today, we learned that Costa Rica has declared a state of emergency after a ransomware attack. Sounds very. El gobierno informó esta mañana que el grupo Conti liberó la mitad de los archivos y correos electrónicos. Over the weekend, they doubled their ransom demand from $10 million to $20 million. A nationwide cyber attack. It froze essential services, brought international trade to a screeching halt, and rocked the business community in Costa Rica. In Costa Rica, the country have problems to collect the taxes and the payrolls. One of the first calls that we received when these attacks started uh, was actually phone calls from our bank customers because they were, of course, scared that something may happen to them. And as the full extent of the damage became clear, everyone seemed to be asking the same thing. Costa Rica, really? Who attacks Costa Rica? I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and this is Click Here, a podcast about all things cyber and intelligence. Today, the unexpected cyber assault on a small Central American nation, and whether it's a preview of our ransomware future. There is a, a little bit of politics around this as well. Stay with us. If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to therecord.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox. Hello, I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. She's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she? And will she win? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts. So when the, the first attack happened in April, where were you? Can you take me back to that day? Yeah, actually, we were working for a bank. And uh, when we saw that from the news, uh, there is a communication. Mario Robles is the founder and CEO of a Costa Rican cybersecurity company called White Jaguars. And he was involved in the government response to the attack. So when we saw the news, uh, I think we all knew that there was going to be a, a storm uh, for, for the whole country. The hackers targeted servers linked to taxes and imports, which meant the government couldn't collect what it was owed 
and couldn't keep track of products coming in and out of the country. It hobbled the Costa Rican economy and was aimed at forcing the government's hand so it would pay a ransom. The hack appeared to be timed to take advantage of that political twilight zone between a departing administration and a newly elected one, when staffers might be less focused on details. A promise to fight against the political establishment and clean the house has propelled Rodrigo Chavez into Costa Rica's top job. Entiendo el mandato que he recibido hoy. A new administration had just won presidential elections, but hadn't been sworn in yet. And the old administration was in retreat. Mario Robles says the timing wasn't an accident. Uh, my personal opinion is kind of suspicious uh, to see too many coincidences. <laughs> Hackers often time their attacks to coincide with moments of vulnerability. In 2015, China rather infamously took advantage of the skeleton crews on duty during a government shutdown to steal sensitive data from the Office of Personnel Management. During the pandemic, classes were online, which gave hackers a singular opportunity to crack into public school networks. And an unprecedented number of universities were hacked last year during a semester break. The timing of the attack on Costa Rica was in that tradition. Costa Rica está sufriendo un ataque terrorista cibernético. New President Rodrigo Chavez ended up having to deal with the cyber attack from the moment he was sworn in. And he decided to respond in a big way. He declared a cybersecurity state of emergency, the first national leader ever to respond to an attack in that way. Late today, we learned that Costa Rica has declared a state of emergency after a ransomware attack. Y por eso hemos decretado un estado de emergencia nacional. Costa Rican public entities have endured cyber attacks, the most damaging being the one against the Ministry of Finance, whose platforms are still down. The decision to do that meant that President Chavez was putting a cyber attack on the same level as a natural disaster or a military strike. And he even named the perpetrators. El país está colaborando con Conti. Conti, they're a Russian hacking cartel that extorted some $180 million last year from an extraordinary list of victims. They encrypted servers at Ireland's health service, stole financial information from a German potato chip giant, KP Snacks, and they locked up first responder networks here in the U.S. All cybersecurity companies here in Costa Rica, I, I, I would say that they were aware of the Conti group. We knew that they had uh, hundreds of attacks in the past uh, two years. The FBI puts the number of attacks at closer to 1,000. Yet Robles says there seemed to be a general sense among Costa Rican cybersecurity officials that it couldn't happen here. There were some alerts around this of potential ransomware attacks here in Costa Rica. So we were aware of this. Um, it was kind of shocking to see them working in or trying to hit Costa Rica. Because usually, well, we may think that they are going to try to hit bigger uh, players or bigger companies. They assumed Conti would focus on deep-pocketed multinationals, not the understaffed government agencies in a small Central American country. The problem is that they don't have enough resources for enforcing or doing audits across uh, all institutions. So we're talking about... A group of people is less than five people for dealing with the cybersecurity controls in more than 300 institutions. So that's 
That's crazy. By May, nearly a month after the attack first started, Conti offered to restore Costa Rica's compromised systems for a mere $20 million. Costa Rica refused. When we come back, a bad hack gets even worse. I think they wanted to show that it was not just we lock up your systems and you pay us money, but it's like we could actually really cause havoc in your country. Stay with us. Politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Costa Rica was still struggling to reassemble its taxation databases and custom servers in early May when hackers struck again. This time, the target was the Costa Rican Social Security Fund, which manages the country's public health system and pension checks. To be honest, that's the attack that scares me the most. That's Mario Robles from White Jaguars again. And he said the second wave attack was worse because it had an immediate effect on ordinary Costa Ricans. With encrypted servers, the healthcare system had to cancel surgeries. It couldn't access medical files or prescription histories. Even the printers on desks in the nation's hospitals were spewing out useless forms. And it still isn't fixed, almost two months later, Robles explains. At the moment, for instance, you don't have uh, a way to, to know your healthcare records. People say that they were waiting for uh, surgery for more than a year. And right now, the, the appointment schedule is just lost. And um, medical records are blocked or are not available. So there is no way that doctors can see the, the historical information for, uh, for treating a, a new patient. Things like that. I think that's, that's, that's critical. At this point, it's unclear whether Conti was behind the second attack or whether it was working with another group that launched it. But it's hard not to conclude that Conti played a hand, not just because it took credit for the first hack, but because healthcare hacks are kind of Conti's thing. In fact, during the COVID crisis, it boasted about targeting healthcare systems. When some of Conti's internal communications leaked earlier this year, there were lots of chat threads about how hospitals were a great target because they would be more likely to pay ransoms during a pandemic. When it came to Costa Rica, though, it felt like it wasn't just Conti's business as usual. It felt bigger, more sinister. And Conti said as much on its blog. In fact, we used an AI voice here to read it to you. We are determined to overthrow the government by means of a cyber attack. We have already shown... If your society loses trust in your ability to do things, it causes disruption. I think they wanted to show... That's James Carter, the chief security officer and vice president of Logarithm. It's a U.S. threat intelligence company. And he's been tracking Conti for years. And he says this political angle is new. That it was not just we lock up your systems and you pay us money, but it's like we could actually really cause havoc in your country. Um, 
the, the serious like revolts and serious you know turnover and what's happening so i think i think it was just a another sort of step up in that to try to prove that it was beyond just sort of a ransomware attack and maybe a harbinger of things to come the former cybersecurity manager at the organization of american states predicted this is just the beginning today it's costa rica he said tomorrow it could be the panama canal Given everything that's going on in the world right now, it doesn't feel like an accident that a Russian-backed group like Conti decided to hack an American ally like Costa Rica. Mario Robles thinks that Costa Rica's relationship with the U.S. is precisely why this happened now. Costa Rica is well known uh, for having a, a strong and good relationship with the U.S. Uh, we have so many U.S. companies here in Costa Rica, including Akamai or IBM or many others. So if a Russian hacking syndicate were looking for a target in Central America that would not only get them cash, but also send a message? Well, that, that should be us. When those chat logs we talked about before were leaked in February, they provided a lot of intelligence about the group. And a lot of people, including Robles, assumed the group was toast. Do you think Conti still exists? Um, I think they do. They just say that they are disbanding the group, but I'm, I'm not completely sure. So potentially they may have some internal conflicts or, or whatever this, that is happening there, but I don't think they are going to stop this. So they're going to come back with another name. I don't think they're going to stop. And the powers who may be protecting Conti may not want them to stop. Those released chat logs we talked about before suggest that the group has a working relationship with Russian police and possibly even the government in Moscow, which may also help us get to the idea of motive. Costa Rica may have offered Conti a twofer, an easy way to show they're still relevant and a way to fire a shot across the U.S. bow. Last week, it appeared that Conti shuttered the last of its public sites, though it's unlikely that'll be the last we hear of them. Researchers expect a new Conti, a kind of son of Conti. And they may be back with a new specialty, extorting countries. And now, in a related story, we take a look at why ransomware is one of those things companies just don't like to talk about. Every incident is buried in secrecy, and executives are slow to share the nitty-gritty, like how intruders got in, which customers were affected, whether they paid a ransom, and how much. So what happens when a company actually does want to talk about it? How much will they truly reveal? Kendra Hanna explains. If you had asked Ray Emerly the day before the first hack how he felt about his company's data security, he would have said, I felt good about where we were. Raised the chief information risk officer for Pitney Bowes. You know, the company that sells stamp machines and does other shipping logistics. To do all that, they need data. People's addresses, billing information. And Ray assumed all that was protected until they got hacked. This turned all that on its head. No one likes to talk about being hacked. It makes sense why. In a lot of ways, it doesn't paint a super flattering image and could be bad for business. You know, hey everyone, we're a company you should trust. But also, someone stole a bunch of your data and now it's public. Columbus Day weekend, 2019. Ray gets a call at 3 a.m. 
Pitney Bowes systems were crashing. They're just going dark. They're going offline. We don't know why. The why ends up being a group called Grim Spider. They're a Russian-based hacking gang that tends to target Fortune 500 companies. Their MO? Phishing emails. They trick an employee into clicking on something, and then, once they're in, they encrypt data until someone pays a ransom. Ray Emerly did what you're supposed to do. He notified employees, he called the authorities, and risked a reputational hit. It took about a week and a half to bring the company's systems back up. And it seemed like that was behind them. Until that May. But May 4th, Star Wars Day, for, for those who are fans. At 6 a.m., I got a call from our security operations lead saying, we've detected some anomalies on the network. A completely different hacker group, they call themselves Maze, cracks into Pitney Bowes servers and starts stealing information. Ray had been here before. He starts notifying all the people he needs to notify, like employees, clients, and the authorities. Weird thing was, no one could find a ransom note from Maze. Turns out there was one, but Ray didn't know that. Hackers hate being ignored, so this hacker group, Maze, decides to grab Ray's attention. They post on their blog a bunch of screenshots and file names, proof of the information they stole. On Sunday night, my chief communications officer calls me, and he's like, I'm about to send you something. The story's broke. But it didn't have the effect the hackers intended. Ray and his team had already told all the people that mattered that they've been compromised. Ray's talking about the hack now because it happened two years ago and the dust has kind of settled. So this is a story that kind of says hooray for transparency. But for one thing. The trickiest part is there will always be questions that people want to know, like they'll ask specifically, did you pay? Pitney Bowes still hasn't answered that question publicly. We'll keep you posted. For Click Here, I'm Kendra Hanna. Here are a few of the big cyber and intelligence stories of the past week. Instead of 911, if you've been hacked, CISA's Cybersecurity Advisory Committee suggests you may be able to call 311 an emergency hotline they're thinking about creating to give small and medium-sized businesses a simple way to call for help. The CISA Advisory Committee is made up of cybersecurity experts from a number of leading companies, and it held its third meeting in Austin, Texas last week. Standing up a hotline was one of the recommendations they provided to CISA Director Jen Easterly. While the idea was generally welcomed by the cybersecurity officials, no one has apparently asked New York City what it thinks about it. Mike Bloomberg set up a 311 city service hotline in 2003, so New Yorkers could report potholes and get help from city services. It's unclear if CISA could bigfoot the Big Apple or just get another number instead. In a report released Wednesday, tech giant Microsoft said that since the February invasion of Ukraine, Russian hackers have attempted to infiltrate networks at more than 100 organizations in the US and dozens more around the world. The report comes as the House Appropriations Committee voted to approve an 8% increase in the Pentagon's cyber spending for 2023. If all the funding is approved, it would be some $12 billion. China's internet watchdog, the Cyberspace Administration of China, announced that it has launched an investigation into the country's largest online academic research database, something called the China National Knowledge Infrastructure. The watchdog agency said that CNKI holds a huge amount of sensitive personal information and data about national defense, and the agency finds that concerning. The CNKI is where a lot of China watchers get their source material, 
so a crackdown on what it can provide or collect is a worrisome development. And finally, the blockchain company Harmony said hackers stole $100 million in cryptocurrency from their platform late last week. The company said that the FBI is now investigating the theft from its cross-chain bridge. These crypto bridges allow people to transfer tokens, assets, smart contract instructions, and data between blockchains. And they've been a favored target in recent months, particularly by North Korean hackers. Today's episode was produced by Sean Powers and Will Jarvis, and it was edited by Lou Olkowski with fact-checking from Darren Ancrum. Kendra Hanna is our intern, and Ben Levingston wrote the Costa Rican-inspired tunes in this episode. Click Here is a production of The Record by Recorded Future, and this, believe it or not, is our 21st episode. And like many cybersecurity professionals these days, we're a bit wiped out. So we're going to take a little break during the month of July. We're going to put some episodes you might have missed in the feed, and we have a couple of surprises for you, too. We'll be back in August with new investigations, new voices, and our own kind of reported storytelling about the world of cyber and intelligence. I'm Dina Temple-Raston. And I'm Sean Powers. And I'm Will Jarvis. Have a great July. Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to the record.media.